Hi, friend. My name is Amy Joy, and this is the Make Per Beautiful podcast. My friend Adrian said, I feel like you have something for us out of the story of the woman with the issue of blood and the young girl who needed resurrecting. And, you know, it's interesting because I wouldn't have said, oh, that's really been a story I'm ruminating on right now. But as soon as I pulled it up, I started crying. So I was like, oh, well, apparently there is something here for us today. So thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that really it feels a little bit like of all of the stories in the New Testament, that this is one that you have just given me such grace to have teachers who so deeply identified with this story. And so I thank you for the teachers that I have sat under who have taught this. I thank you for Connie Anderson and for Carla Pratico and others, um, Lord, for the opportunity in InterVarsity to go through and dissect this kind of word by word as a group. And so, yeah, Jesus, I just thank you for those who've gone before, and I ask that you would bless the words of my mouth. Thank you, Lord. So, this is, I'm going to do the Mark 5 passage. One of the things that is lovely about the book of Mark uh, this is commonly viewed as Peter telling this story, and we know from the scriptures that Mark was related to Peter, and they, um, so the view is, here you have Peter who's pretty kind of impetuous, let's go for it, let's get it done, and so you really get that sense when you read the book of Mark. How many verses start with the word and? <laughs> it's like this happened and this and this and this and this and then and then. And so there, there's that sense of being constantly pulled along through the action. It's also the shortest of the different gospel accounts. And so anytime you come across a story that's maybe a little bit longer, there's that sense of like, oh, this really deeply touched you. And so this passage with the, the girl who needs healing, then the woman with the healing, and then the girl who then needs resurrecting by the end, this takes up a full half of a chapter. I mean, it's Mark uh, 20, or it starts in Mark 21, and it goes all the way through the end of the chapter in 43. So it's a, not an inconsequential percentage of the book of Mark. And in the first half of the chapter, the first 20 verses, we have the beautiful, beautiful story of Jesus restoring the demon-possessed man. And if I'm remembering correctly, in the book of Mark in general, it's sort of like, here's Jesus, and he just comes, and he starts overturning the systems that were not working already. And uh, the story of the demoniac there um, among the tombs, this is the most uh, do I want to say the most thoroughly demonized individual I think that we come across in the scriptures? He's out of his mind, lives among the tombs, naked. You cannot contain him even if you put chains on him. Just like he is not left in some ways. Like when Jesus asks his name, the man cannot reply with, you know, my name is Johan. It's like, no, he is he no longer remembers his name. He's out of it. And so the demons are like, oh, our name is Legion. <laughs> My name is Legion. So not actually, that is not his name, but that was the identity he was working under. So Jesus heals the man and the people in the region, please ask him to move along. <laughs> like You just kind of destroyed our local economy because when all the demons came out of the one man, they went into an entire herd of pigs and that was very, it was just expensive. I think 
one of the gospel accounts maybe says that it's 2,000 pigs. Yeah, about the, the Mark one does. 2,000 in number, they rush down. That's a lot of financial loss. <laughs> it takes a long time to raise a pig. Pigs eat a lot. Uh, this would have been really quite a financial hit. And on the one hand, it's easy to say like, oh, those rotten villagers, why didn't they accept that the man was healed and kind of their main uh, social problem has now been taken care of. And on the one hand, it would be lovely if we were all like very high-minded like that. But then you think, okay, how many people are going to go hungry because these 2,000 pigs have now just run into the sea and been drowned? That's that's also a consideration. But instead of asking Jesus, like, so how can you multiply our finances in order to allow us not to starve? Uh, they just asked him to move along. So kind of an interesting uh, beginning to this story that he uh, he moves he moves along and... So he's crossed over from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, and a large crowd gathers around him while he's by the lake. So you think, okay, he just did this very strong power encounter with a very demonized man. He was asked to leave. He was, his gifts were not welcome. So although the man continued to share about what Jesus had done for him, because that was beautiful, the region itself was kind of like, oh my goodness, how are we going to recover from this financial blow? So Jesus is... Uh, it doesn't even say that he's teaching. He's just there on the side of like, people come to him. They're like, we want to know more. What is going on? And maybe they were there for healing. Maybe they were there because they were curious. Like, oh, we've never seen anything like this before. And we want to know what it's about. And uh, so it says, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And okay, so let's talk a little bit about Jairus. So uh, as I understand it, and I haven't done a thorough job of studying the uh, Jewish uh, religious social structure, but uh, a, a synagogue leader, as I understand it, would be like your local church congregation. And so we know from the scriptures that Jesus had a lot of issues with the um, scribes and Pharisees, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I tend to think of those as being sort of like the corporate um, policymakers, if you will. Um, if you, it would be, if we were talking about politically, they would be the members of the Supreme Court and maybe some senators or something like, it was the people who were in charge of the community. And so a local leader like Jairus maybe would have had a little bit of say, but if you think about it, the difference between the Supreme Court, like the nine justices over the entire nation of the United States versus your, um, a local judge here in Virginia. Or if you were to think like, oh, here's the person who's over the entire denomination versus your local pastor. Um, he would still have some level of leadership in the local community, but it's not necessarily, um, it's not like, oh, here's the, the wedge that's going to be able to allow Jesus to have a say in the wider spiritual formation of the community. I hope that that made sense. It's, I'm just trying to say he would have been a leader and presumably a godly man, but he wasn't sort of entrapped in the Pharisee-Sadducee perspective of, you know, this guy is a horrible person. Let's try to shut down whatever Jesus is saying. So here he comes, and, and yet you also get that sense like, well, if he was 
listening to the higher-ups, he wouldn't have come. So there is a level of saying, even though he is not somebody who has much authority, he's willing to buck the trend of his superiors in the social structure um, to whatever extent that social structure existed. And he came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now, that would be really socially awkward if somebody were to do that in our culture, but it's beautiful when you read about other cultures, what they would do, just even demonstratively. I was reading with my sons recently about the uh, one of the practices in the um, islands off the coast of India, where, and I think this is throughout India as well, but like, oh, I want to show a gesture of respect to you, so I'm going to touch your foot with my hand and touch my forehead. And it's just, and then the, the person that you do that to puts the hand on the head as a form of blessing. It's just like a way of saying, I honor you, and the other person is like, and I bless you. So it's a very beautiful, kind of ingrained in the culture, a way of offering honor. And so here he is, and he's, he's offering this honor. But there's also, a little, when it says he fell at his feet, it's like, he is so desperate. He is so needy. <laughs> it's kind of like, I am just, like, if I need to prostrate myself to help you come with me, I will do whatever it takes. And he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I love this part of the story because you think, okay, here's Jesus, probably in some kind of a it would just be a weird position to have just been kind of ousted from a place. And yet it's like, oh, here's the next open door. So sort of like he's in this place, people are coming to him, but there isn't necessarily like, here's the next invitation for you to step into. And so Jesus is like, yeah, I will go with you. And the the beautiful aspect of this father saying, you don't have to bring medicines. You don't have to come with anything except the healing power that is within you. And I know that my daughter is going to be fine when you get there. And so it's, I think there's a level of expressing just such beautiful faith on the part of Jairus and then such beautiful uh, willingness to uh, allow the needs of the people around him to affect where he's actually going. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, how beautiful you are. I say thank you, Lord, for this passage. I thank you for this story. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Amen.